The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, October 13th, 2019, on the basis of Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. You might recall from your days in middle school or high school science class that classic little lab experiment where you're given some mysterious unknown substance or or maybe even several of them and your job is to figure out what it is. If you remember that little exercise, you probably remember starting with just simple observation. You look at the substance, you look at its color, maybe check out its odor, check out its texture, you maybe even measure its density. But if you remember that exercise, you probably remember that that didn't settle it, that that still more investigation needed to be done. And so you might recall taking that substance and exposing it to a variety of different conditions to see how it responded. What happens when you heat it way up? What happens when you cool it way down? What happens when it comes into contact with a flame? What happens when you mix it in some sort of solution with water or vinegar or iodine, for example? And then, of course, if all else fails and you're 14 years old and you have some sort of substance that you don't know what it is, what do you do? You taste it, of course, right? (laughs) Bad idea, kids. Don't don't do that. Don't ever taste something in science class. The reason I mentioned that classic little lab exercise today is because today, as we look at these verses from Luke chapter 19, you're going to need exactly the set of skills that that lab exercise was meant to teach. We're right in the middle of this series that's entitled Get to the Heart of It. And throughout this series, we're we're looking at a variety of big ideas from Scripture that very often can get very, very complicated, and we're hopefully making them simple once again. And today, the big idea that we're talking about is this thing called grace. In a lot of ways, grace is sort of like that mysterious, unknown substance that you got in science class. By nature, grace is not something that's familiar to us. In fact, it's very, very foreign to us. By nature, we don't understand grace, certainly not God's grace. In fact, that's probably pretty good evidence for why discussions about grace can so often become so very complicated and why grace is so often misunderstood. And yet today, today again, we're going to see how good Jesus is at taking things that have gotten complicated and making them simple once again. And specifically, today, Jesus is going to do that sort of in in a similar way to that science lab exercise. We're going to see God's grace exposed to a variety of conditions. In fact, very extreme conditions. Conditions that allow us to see the true properties and the true nature of grace. We're going to see what grace is truly all about as it reacts in very specific circumstances. So just like that science lab, you need to watch very carefully and pay close attention because what's going on in these verses is that Jesus is encountering the ultimate test case for grace. You heard what was going on. Jesus is toward the end of his public ministry here on earth, and he's passing through a town called Jericho. As he's passing through, there is this man who happens to be really, really short, who wants to see Jesus, but because he can't, he climbs up to the top of a tree so that he can get a better look. Luke tells us that the man's name was Zacchaeus. Luke also tells us that he was a chief tax collector. 
anyone who has been reading throughout the book of Luke, by the time they got to this point, they would know a lot about tax collectors. We've seen, in fact, in in past sermons, how tax collectors were the people most treated like outcasts in that society. Tax collectors worked for the hated Roman government, so they were traitors to the Jewish people. Tax collectors made their income. They lined their pockets by lying about how much money the government required them to collect. So tax collectors were cheats. And Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. We might think of it this way. I'm guessing that you're not always so fond of that telemarketer who calls you up on the phone at the worst possible moment and is trying to sell you something that you don't really need and won't take no for an answer. Well, imagine meeting that person's boss. Imagine meeting the person that gives that person a paycheck, the person who puts your phone number and that script in front of that person. That's kind of what Zacchaeus was. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. But Zacchaeus wasn't just an outcast in the eyes of the religious leaders of the day, especially the, the Pharisees. Luke also tells us that Zacchaeus was very rich. Again, anyone reading along in the book of Luke by this time would have already found out a great deal about what Jesus has to say about people who are rich. Not that it's a a sin to be rich, but it's a sin to love your riches. In fact, to serve your riches and to serve God is impossible. Very clearly, Zacchaeus served his riches. He was willing to betray his own people. He was willing to cheat his own people just so he could have more riches. So what's interesting in this circumstance is that here you have this man where both Jesus and the Pharisees, who never saw eye to eye, they they very much do see eye to eye about Jesus in terms or about Zacchaeus. In terms of the spiritual assessment that they would give this man, they were in complete agreement. This man was a horrible, horrible sinner, as bad as it gets. That's what makes him such a great test case for grace. When Jesus came into contact with a man like this, how would he respond? Before we get to the answer to that question, I couldn't help but notice over the course of the past several weeks that some similar experiments on grace have been carried out in our society. See, in in our world, it's very common for people to speak favorably about the idea of grace. I think all in all, people consider grace to be a, a positive thing. We're told that we should treat everyone with kindness and respect, no matter who and no matter what. But it's interesting when those ideas are put in very extreme circumstances, when they're put to the test to see how they respond. For example, in a situation like this. You maybe heard the story about the black man from Texas by the name of Botham Jean, who a while back was murdered in his own apartment by a white off-duty police officer by the name of Amber Geiger. It was in the news again recently because the court case was finally decided, her verdict was decided, her sentence was read, she was found guilty of murder. But what made this story so interesting yet again is that at the sentencing, the victim's brother, who you see here, had a statement that he prepared and that he read out loud, and in that statement he said that he forgave Amber for what she had done. He wished nothing but the best for her. In fact, he came down from the witness stand to give her a hug. A stunning display of grace. And yet, if you've been paying attention, you maybe know that not everyone was happy with this. Not everyone was happy with what they saw, that this forgiveness could be extended. 
Evidently in cases where murder is involved or possibly when racism is involved. Evidently that's, that's the limit. That's as far as grace ought to go. Or how about a situation like this? From just last Sunday, if you were watching the Packers and the Cowboys game, you maybe saw that on the national television cameras, they, they captured up in Jerry Jones's suite, stand-up talk show host Ellen DeGeneres sitting next to former President of the United States George W. Bush sitting next to each other, talking with each other, having a laugh together. And Ellen came under some criticism for this. And so on her talk show this past week, she stood up to defend her actions. And she said that we have to be able to treat people with kindness and respect, even when they don't agree with us, even when they don't see eye to eye with us. Really, I think, again, a a pretty great display of grace. And yet again, not everyone was happy with it. She faced even more criticism. Evidently, when someone has done some things or maybe when someone stands for things that are the exact opposite of what you stand for, well, then then again, that's the limit of grace. I suppose, though, the experiments on grace that matter most are not the ones that catch public attention, but the ones that each and every day, each and every week, we are running in our own lives. The experiments that aren't going to make national news. They're not going to go viral on social media. In fact, that is very much by design. In fact, I don't think that I can even comment on the specifics of the experiments that you run, just as you can't comment on the specifics of the experiments in grace that I run, because we try our best to keep the shameful things that we do, the shameful things that we say, certainly the same shameful things that we think to ourselves. Otherwise, we too would very much be treated like outcasts. There'd be a lot of people, I'm guessing, who would want nothing to do with us. Of course, the reality is that no matter how good we get at hiding those things from others, we cannot hide those things from God. Which means that this experiment that we're looking at today, this encounter with Zacchaeus, it's not just an experiment for him. It's not just an experiment for a convicted murderer or for a former president of the United States. It's an experiment that is very much for you and me as well. It's an experiment where our eternities hang in the balance. When grace is put in such extreme circumstances, how does it respond? Well, when Jesus came across this man named Zacchaeus, what did he do? Luke tells us that Jesus stopped his march. He looked up into the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. What makes those words from Jesus so interesting is that there are a series of of words that he uses that, again, if if you've been reading throughout the book of Luke, you have heard Jesus use in a variety of other situations. And in this one sentence, Jesus brings them all together into one power-packed, grace-saturated statement. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. Today, not after you've cleaned up your act, Not after you fixed this mess and paid everyone back, but today, right here, right now, just as you are, a cheat, a traitor, a chief tax collector, today, I must stay at your house. Jesus said, I'm coming over. And not just for a little bit. Not just to see what you've done with the place. 
not just to watch the big game on that big flat screen TV that you've bought with all of the dishonest money that you've made. I'm coming over to stay. I'm coming over to eat with you and drink with you and stay the night in your guest room. I'm coming over to stay. Jesus was not keeping this sinful man at arm's distance. He was willing to associate himself with that man in the closest possible way. And then finally, and maybe most surprisingly of all, Jesus said that he must do this. I must stay at your house. Do you realize how strange it is to hear the Son of Man say that he has to do something? The Son of God can do whatever he wants. And yet Jesus says, I must do this. I have to do this. I'm compelled. I'm forced to do this. Not by anything outside of him, but by the heart that is beating inside of him. Because he is a God of grace. With Jesus, grace has absolutely no limits. Now, I suppose it shouldn't surprise us one bit that as we witness some of the experiments on grace that are going on out in our world, the results of those experiments are very different from the results that we see with Jesus. As much as we are very comfortable talking about grace and being in favor of grace and saying that grace is a good thing, we are also very comfortable admitting that there are limits to grace. In fact, those limits are so certain, so sure, so set in stone that if you want to, you can actually make money off of them, believe it or not. There's a brand new startup company out in Boston called Spotted Risk. It's basically an insurance company, but they're not selling auto insurance. They're not selling life insurance. They're not selling property or liability insurance. They are trying to protect companies from a much different type of of risk. Companies that shell out millions of dollars to specific individuals, specific celebrities. Maybe it's a company that's making a movie and -and so-and-so actor is the star of the movie. Maybe it's a company that's trying to sell a product and so they get this celebrity or that celebrity to be the spokesman for their ads. But as often happens, as happens especially a lot these days, sometimes those celebrities do things that the companies aren't exactly thrilled about. They make some sort of offensive statement. Some sort of terrible scandal from their past is dug up. And so the company has no, fo- no choice but to fire that celebrity and in the process losing millions of dollars. But don't worry, Spotted Risk can insure you against that risk. They can help protect you against that risk. Spotted Risk sells disgrace insurance. It's not surprising at all that there are certain things that all of us agree, that our society in general would agree is, is beyond the limits of grace, things that, that cause such an outcry that pretty much everyone agrees, yeah, that person is beyond help. That's not the surprising part. The surprising part is that our God would do just the opposite. That as we run our own experiments on grace, the results that we find are always going to be exactly like the results Zacchaeus found. That no matter what we've done, no matter what shameful thing we've said or done or thought, he will always say to us exactly what he said to Zacchaeus. I must stay with you today. Today. Not come back a month from now. Not let me see some signs of improvement and then we can talk. But today, exactly as you are right here, right now. Jesus says, I'm going to stay with you. I'm not just going to give you a little wave. I'm not just going to shake your hand. I'm not just going to hang out for a little bit. Jesus wants to stay with us. He wants to converse with us. He is willing to speak 
with us. For as long as we are willing to listen, he is willing to hear from us as long as we are willing to pray. He actually wants to sit down and and dine with us, to eat and to drink with us at this meal that we call Holy Communion. And friends, rest assured, he's never going to check his watch. He's never going to yawn as if he's bored. He's never going to tell you that he's got places to go and people to see. He's never going to tell you that his calendar is full. He's going to stay as long as it takes. And again, maybe most surprising of all, that he actually says that he must. That the same, guy who, the same God who doesn't have to do anything, who can do whatever he wants, says that the thing that he wants most is to hang out with us. No matter what experiment you run, those are going to be the results. There are no limits on God's grace. So what conclusions do you think we should draw about this thing called grace? That's kind of how a science experiment usually goes, right? You do the experiment, you observe the results, and then you write down your conclusions. What's clear from these verses is that Zacchaeus had reached a very specific conclusion about this Jesus character. He reached the very same conclusion, in fact, that you heard the prophet Micah reach in today's first reading. Micah, who said, who is like God? Zacchaeus had been living in service to his own God of his riches, and yet when he came in contact with a God of limitless grace, he realized something. He was set free from that service to his money, and you heard what he did. He gave away half of his possessions to the poor. He paid everyone back that he had stolen from four times the amount. As he compared serving the God of riches or serving the God of grace, he realized that one was worth serving and one no longer was. Of course, that wasn't the only conclusion reached by the people who observed this grace. You also heard about the conclusion reached by the Pharisees. In fact, they reached just the opposite conclusion. And that's not really all that surprising because, again, if, if we've been reading along with Luke, we might remember that Luke told us that these Pharisees were lovers of money. In other words, they worshipped the very same God that Zacchaeus worshipped, only they decided that they still wanted to keep worshipping that God. And so when they saw this grace put on display they balked. Really, it shouldn't come as much of a surprise. No matter what God we might choose to serve, no matter what false God we might choose to worship, that false God is always going to demand our performance, our accomplishments, our service, and our sacrifice. And so when we see God treat someone else in just the opposite way, it's going to disgust us as well. That's the interesting thing about this experiment on grace. It it doesn't just reveal what our God is like. It also reveals what's going on in our hearts. It reveals something very important about what's going on inside each and every one of us and what we believe. And that really kind of gets us into what we're going to be talking more about next week. Another one of these big ideas that gets very complicated that we want to make simple once again. We'll talk about faith next week. But what's interesting is that no matter what grace reveals about what is going on in our hearts, it is never going to change what is in the heart of God. No matter how we respond to God's grace, God will always be gracious. In fact, even after we see the conclusions reached by Zacchaeus and the Pharisees, the story wraps up with Jesus getting the last word. And the last word that Jesus spoke is is very, very similar to what he had said to Zacchaeus. In fact, Jesus kind of generalizes this whole thing to let us know that no matter what, no matter where, no matter who, his grace is not going to change. Even when grace involves more than just 
saying a few nice things to someone, even when grace involves more than staying the night at someone's house, even when grace involves suffering and dying on the cross, that grace will never change. As Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So friends, no matter what experiment you might be running, no matter what extreme conditions you might expose God's grace to, no matter what test you might put God's grace to, rest assured that the results will always be the same. Amen. Amen. 